Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm exhausted, man. Oh no, why are you exhausted? <laughs> because football this weekend, it was so exhausting. It did actually. In a good way. Yeah, In yeah. a good way. It's very intense. It was very, very, very intense, actually. But um, yeah, how are you How are you doing? I am <laughs> reasonably good. Got here in the end, despite technical difficulties. No, but um, in footballing terms, you know, we normally turn to football for escapism, but it was actually quite stressful this weekend. For you in particular, but we'll get into that. For me? Yeah, What, yeah. Did, what did I do? As an Arsenal fan. Oh, it was casual as an Arsenal fan, man. <laughs> that was calm. Steady 2-1 win over Sheffield United. Was it that steady though? Oh, it was totally steady. It was never in doubt. It was terrifying. Even I was terrified. I'm not even an Arsenal fan. We'll get to that in a sec, but I think we should start with the Bundesliga because that's where most of the drama happened. There was so much drama in the Bundesliga this weekend. Bundesliga final day. There was still quite a lot to play for. The final Champions League spot. The automatic relegation spot. And what the Germans call the relegation, which is the relegation playoff spot, rather confusingly. And... It ended up that Fortuna are down. They will be in this fight of Bundesliga next season. Werder Bremen managed to secure a playoff spot. So they will play Heidenheim, who pipped Hamburg. I mean. Again. Oh, Hamburg. <laughs> to the third place in the Zweite Bundesliga. So it'll be Bremen-Heidenheim this week. I think the first, first game is July the 2nd. Two-legged playoff, home and away. Dortmund lost 4-0 at home. I mean, they were kind of on the beach anyway. There was shades of Union last weekend when there was nothing really to play for there. It was so frantic. So for those who don't know, I've mentioned it a few times, but they have a thing in Germany on Sky Bundesliga called the Konferenz, which is kind of like a red zone, but for football. So they dart around the games and all of a sudden you'll hear this tour in Leipzig and it'll cut to Leipzig and they'll show whoever scored. And it was just... So chaotic. It was like watching a Safdie Brothers film. <laughs> like this, the next Safdie Brothers film is going to be the Bundesliga final day. That's an incredible reference because I saw that film, uh, the Sandler movie, and I've never seen anything so stressful. I kept texting my friend to go, this is pure anxiety. And the Bundesliga was like that. I mean, it was... <sighs> watching Dortmund capitulate. So first of all, because someone wrote to me on Twitter and said, why are you so... I'm genuinely interested as to why you're so harsh on Dortmund. And I was like, well, Burki, the goalkeeper himself said it. He was like, we don't have a winning mentality. Like he literally was like, this isn't what elite clubs do. We don't lose 4-0 on the final day like this at home. Yeah, not to Hoffenheim. No, Who, exactly. To be fair, have been markedly improved since Alfred Schroeder got sacked. But, but still, he was like, I mean, when Burki's coming out, when your own keeper's coming out publicly and saying that, you have to like, look at yourselves. But Dortmund aside, and Kramaric scored all four in 50 minutes, which is even wilder. That must be some <laughs> kind of record. I mean... Well, it probably isn't knowing the Bundesliga. It probably isn't. Um, so that was interesting. But down at the bottom, so this is quite interesting. So Verda won 6-1. Yes, they did. Yeah, but this was the thing. So a friend of mine who's a big Fortuna fan, a bit of a conspiracy, well, not conspiracy theorist, he was like, they weren't that unhappy, Cologne, about Fortuna going down. No, they really weren't. The point where it was remarked upon in media that Cologne were not very unhappy about the fact that Fortuna went down. I mean, if this was racing, you might have a steward's inquiry. You might be like, it's unprofessional to say just how happy you are that your local rivals are going down. 
Oh, do you know what? I was a bit like, well, that is a bit conspiracy theory until Cologne scored one. And then I was just like, let's just throw him off the scent. That's the only reason they scored a goal. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be a bit annoyed if I was a Werder fan because Werder have the attacking sophistication to have finished higher up the table. They shouldn't be in this amount of trouble. Like, I think Werder have got more tools than teams that finished above them, certainly in an attacking sense. Well, a lot of people, well, the majority of people who cover the Bundesliga extensively tip them to be a top-half side this season. And they should have been a top-half side in theory. Yeah. But they just they just didn't score goals. So they scored six on the last day of the season. They obviously beat Cologne 6-1. That was 40% of their entire season's home league goals in one game. 40%. And it was 14% of their entire league goals for the season. A 34-game season... And they've scored 40% of their home goals on the last day and 14% of their overall goals on the last day. See, there's a problem with motivation there with Verder. There's something wrong there because if you can beat Dortmund in the Pokal and if you can score from 30 yards against the best teams in the country and the best goalkeepers in the world, you should be scoring more goals than that. Like, I, I hate to say it, but if you're capable technically of doing things like that, then you shouldn't be at that place in the table. Something's gone on with the motivation there, I think. Yeah, I think this game is just a weird one though because Cologne was safe and... As you mentioned, I don't think they were too fussed about getting beat. But at the end of the day, they're professional footballers and I don't think, you know, none of that is legit, I don't think. We have to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We've seen this happen a number of times at the end of various league seasons where one side genuinely needs to win. They're playing another side that really has nothing to play for and it ends up being the super warped scoreline because of it. But to be honest, I don't think that they are guaranteed to win the playoff against Heidenheim. No, I mean, no, it's funny because I don't watch much of Heidenheim. I've only been watching Heidenheim a little bit the last few weeks because of the title, because of the race to go up. They don't produce that many scoring opportunities. They kind of give me a bit of an unio on energy, very well organised, hit you on the break, absorb pressure. Like, if it was going to be anything, I would say that Werder have the firepower. I think that even Hyas Fowl were worried about the playoff. Like, I saw a few quite big Hyas Fowl accounts in the days leading up going, if we get into playoff, we're not, there's no way we beat Verda over two legs. Maybe that's, maybe that's their inferiority complex. I don't know, but neither teams, in fact, to be honest, the Zweite Bundesliga generally, if you look at the top teams in that, the ones that have come up, so automatically, so Stuttgart and Armenia, Bielefeld, neither score that many goals compared to Paderborn last year. And I just worry if firepower is going to be a problem for those. Yeah. I mean, Heidenheim are the lowest scorers in the top half of the Zweite Bundesliga, but they've, I mean, Obviously, the Bundesliga is a much more difficult league, but Werder have only scored 42 goals. They, they, they scored 42 goals this season. Mm. Heidenheim got 45. But Ver- I just wonder whether... Yeah. That, I mean, they gave, um, they gave Bayern a little bit of a scare that time. Do you remember in the, in the cup? They did, yeah. yeah. You know, they scored four in Bayern, Heidenheim. They lost 5-4, but still they scored four at the Allianz. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really interesting playoff I'm not entirely sure that Verda will do that I mean last season Union won the playoff against Stuttgart and came up Stuttgart yeah. incidentally automatically promoted back into the Bundesliga with Armenia Bielefeld who came top mm. it's only because I only say it because Verda have been in decent goal, goal scoring form since the res- resumption they've had I think scored five in one game and they've got six in another so they're in decent goal scoring form like they know where the net is mm. that's the only thing that's the only thing I would say and I did I think weirdly enough I think I actually caught the second half of the highest foul 
um, game against Sandhausen. And I don't think that team beats that. I don't think that team beats Werder. I can see why they were not they were not that confident. I think if Heidenheim can keep it tight against Werder, they've got a great chance. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Um, elsewhere in the Bundesliga, Timo Werner scored on his final game for Leipzig. Uh, he's the club's record goal scorer. Uh, Leverkusen beat Mainz 1-0 at home. It wasn't enough to secure Champions League qualification because Gladbach beat Hertha 2-1 at home. Yeah, Gladbach, very, very good season under Marco Rosa. First season under Marco Rosa. And getting them back into the Champions League, I think is a huge achievement. Um, they've done it recently without some of their key players. Alessand Play has been out. Marcus Taram's been out. I'm really pleased for Gladbach. And I'm really pleased for Marco Rosa, obviously, because apart from him being hideously handsome, <laughs> he just comes across like a really good guy. He's a really good manager. I want him to succeed. They ended up being two points clear of Leverkusen, who finished fifth. Hoffenheim ended up sixth. They had a great late run. Yeah. Freiburg, eighth. Eintracht ended up ninth, which I think is really interesting considering they were about 15th three weeks ago and it went on an absolute tear at the end of the season. They won three of their last four. Hertha finished 10th, level on points with Union, which I think is amazing. Union finishing 11th in the Bundesliga when pretty much everyone tipped them to go straight back down. I mean, we've covered this before a couple of weeks ago when they when they were safe, but Urs Fischer and everyone at the club just deserve such a huge amount of credit because... They are a really unique club for the Bundesliga. Yeah. And really excited to see how they can try and develop and hopefully secure their position as a as a as a Bundesliga side. I do believe they've got to make some changes to the stadium to fit in with Bundesliga regulations. So it'd be interesting to see how the first arrive changes because of that. They finished two points above Schalke. Do you want to talk about Schalke a little bit? I'm just amazed that Schalke ended up in that position despite not having won for absolutely eight, for months. Well, for, well, obviously months, pandemic. But for so long... Pandemic. <laughs> pandemic, pandemic. <laughs> like, with it, it's funny with Schalke. So they've... It's so interesting because their chairman has been embroiled, Clements Turnies, in one of the biggest COVID scandals. Like there's, there were hundreds of cases of infection at his factory. And it feels almost like fitting and ironic that that's the case on the field and off the field because there's just a sense of disarray. John Harding at JohnBlog66 on Twitter said that, you know, the problem with Schalke is it's the pieces. It's not the coaching. It's not the, there is just not the talent. And Schalke actually had the kind of, um, the Spurs problem. Remember Spurs sold Bale, but didn't replace him properly. And they bought like six or seven players, all of whom misfired to varying degrees. There are some clubs you look at where you're like, you're like 60%, 70% mm. of what you should be for a club of your size. It's, we could call it the 70% problem where none of the players are actually bad, but none of them have got like anything out of third gear. And yeah. I think Schalke's problem is that like, you can, it's a bit like when I was watching, this is a bit of a random reference. Barcelona playing against Bayer Leverkusen in the Champions League a few years back and Xavi got knackered and went off. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was just like, gone it was like the best air traffic controller left the kind of left the airport and all of a sudden you just had all these players circling 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 no execution you could tell the ideas were there but the the execution wasn't there and it was all half a step slow and you watch Schalke and they're just consistently half a step slow to the punch all over the field and that all adds up so when you watch them you're like 
it was like watching Manchester United the second half of the season under David Moyes where you're like, these players know what to do, but they just don't have the cohesion and coordination to do it. And, and, and that's a talent aspect. And it's bad for Schalke because that kind of problem means that it's about recruitment across the board. You either get in and managers like ridiculous or you've just got to buy. They're in a lot of trouble, Schalke, on and off the pitch. And I'd, I'd actually recommend John Harding's DW colleague, Matt Ford. He wrote a really good piece about Schalke on the DW website. There were protests outside the stadium after they lost to Freiburg on the weekend, even though they were playing away. A lot of that was directed at Clements Turney's. Now, Clements Turney's we spoke about earlier on in the season, yeah. who is not a popular figure amongst Schalke fans. He's the chairman. He was suspended for racist comments earlier on in the season and managed to kind of just sneak back in yeah. undetected in a way. A lot of the fans, ultras groups, etc., do not want him there. And I think Schalke are going to be stuck in this kind of weird limbo until there are major changes there. They're looking at putting cost-cutting measures in place, putting a wage cap in or salary cap of, a, of 50 grand a week. Yeah. Which is maybe something we can expand on another time because I kind of like that idea across the board, to be honest, but we'll see. It'll never happen, yeah. but it's quite fun. But yeah, go and check Matt's piece out because it's good. Anything else on the Bundesliga before we go to a break? Yeah, we've got very a lot quickly. To get through today. Before I forget, just to explain Schalke to those who don't watch German football regularly, they feel kind of like West Ham about a year and a half ago when the fans were like, this is a big club. We're not happy with how being treated. Teams in trouble on the pitch, no real cohesion, maybe a lack of quality and the owners were unpopular. It feels kind of analogous to that a bit at Schalke, where you've got this kind of really traditional fan base who are inclusive, who do care about these issues and they're not just in it. We're more than a club. We'd rather lose the right way than win the wrong way. But unfortunately, we're doing everything wrong. We're doing it wrong on the field, off the field and we're losing. So it kind of feels like a West Ham type dynamic to me. That makes sense. I'm not a gambling man, but I would like to put a philosophical bet on Hub Stevens being in charge of Schalke at some point again next season. That would be amazing. It wouldn't be because it would mean that things have gone terribly wrong again for Schalke and he's had to come in and keep them up like he did after they fired Dominica Tedesco. But sometimes you need a return to like source. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like just, leave, just leave Hub alone, man. He just wants to sit in the stand, <laughs> have a nice quiet dunkel beer post-game. Just leave him be. It's like people keep going after Jupp Heynckes whenever Bayern are in trouble. It's just like, let the guy live, man. He's uh, done the work. And his wife is basically probably like padlocked him to the front gate and going, Jupp. If I find you've gone out and won another Champions League when I've gone out to get the papers. Yeah, your pancas isn't allowed to answer his own home phone anymore. He's not. He's not. No. Uh, let's go to a break. Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. I forgot to do admin at the top of the show, so... Don't forget, stadio.bandcamp.com. We've stuck our theme tune on sale and we're donating all the money. So please go and purchase it. Three euros or pay as much as you like. Britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. I think there's a week left to vote for us in the listener's choice. So yeah, if you'd search Stadio, please go and vote for us. That would be very lovely. Go vote. I want to win, Moose. I want to win so bad. (laughs) In the words of Michael Jordan, it became personal. Exactly. It became it became personal to me. Yeah, also, if you're listening to this on the Stadio feed, make sure you subscribe to the Ringer FC Spotify feed as we'll be migrating over to that exclusively 
I think next week. The link to that is in the description. Uh, where do you want to go now? Do you want to go La Liga or do you want to go to... Should we do La Liga first? Liga, because yeah, let's... La Liga was very, very, very entertaining this weekend. It was. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Barcelona? Oh my gosh. Okay, so, I mean, Barca playing at Celta Vigo is... It is a banana skin sometimes for them. And it was again. And they just... Someone said it because I, I wrote... Um, I commented about Barcelona's situation at the moment being a bit of a disaster. And someone got in touch. Oh yeah, touch someone, came, someone, up, someone oh, came for they, you. They've got, they? they've got four leagues and in five seasons. said, no, it's not about that. This is about a decline where you'll have a drop-off in quite a startling way. And Barca will always be there and thereabouts at the top of the table because they just have such incredible resources, but they're wasting a lot of what they have. Um, and, it, you know, it is disconcerting. I mean, you know, Messi, 33, so much, he's all of a sudden just shot up to 33 years old. So much goes through him. And the challenge is with the mobility in that front three, if Messi is doing what he's doing and Suarez isn't moving the best, the third attacker has been such a huge problem for Barcelona for so many years. They never solved it with the Neymar. They never sold it off the Neymar. Coutinho coming off the wing didn't work because it's predictable what he does when he's that hard the pitch. Dembele, obviously, injury has been a problem. And they haven't hired... I mean, how... If you had a proper director of football there, if Zabizarreta was still there, let's be honest, if they hadn't got rid of Zabizarreta in 2015 and been so impatient and then won the treble a few weeks, a few months later, if they hadn't been impatient, I think a player like Christian Pulisic would have ended up at Barca. I do not understand for the life of me how a club like Barcelona keeps passing on talent like that. Like, I know that there's board level trouble. I know that there's a, we're not, we're not discussing deliberately the stuff on the pitch because I think that the things that Setien has to deal with are not of his making. And I'm very determined not to keep doing a deconstruction of Barca's performance on the pitch because I don't think he has the pieces. I don't think he has the pieces. There was a goal that um, Arturo Vidal scored a couple of weeks ago when he, he arrives late in the box for a header and someone goes, oh, no one makes that run. And I think it's the run that Paulinho made, but that is an absolutely standard. If you do not have if you do not have number eights making that run from midfield as a matter of course, you're in real trouble. And the fact that Barcelona watchers were going, oh, wow, look at that run. I was like, this is bad. I mean, let's go back to the game though, because there was yeah. an absolutely unbelievable moment in this game, which was the first Barcelona goal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I think Celta, quite possibly with the worst configuration <laughs> for a free kick, I think I've ever seen. So they had, they had a wall and they had... Uh, two people on the line, one on either post. No, so they had three in the wall. Yeah. Another guy about five yards away from the wall, but in line with the wall. Someone about five yards behind the wall. Two people about a yard and a half behind that guy. Uh, another guy just inside the six-yard box stood, ne stood next to Vidal. Two on the line behind the goalkeeper, which meant that there was an unmarked Luis Suarez just inside the six-yard box on the right-hand side. I've never seen anything like it, I don't think. I might be wrong, but I can't remember. I've seen one thing similar, and that's when John Barnes was managing Celtic. They played a 2-4-2-2 with two sweepers behind the back four, and it was just a nightmare getting out. It was narrow, and it was wide, and it was, it was, it was narrow going forward, so you conceded the ball up front, and the two sweepers got in the way of the back four. Yeah, 2-4-2-2. I think that was the last time I saw something like this. That's big football manager energy. That is. <laughs> <laughs> but a great point for Celta, which means they're probably safe. 
Now, that extends their lead over Mallorca to eight points. Six to go. I can't see Mallorca making up eight points on Celta. How many statues does Iago Aspas have? Not enough. This guy is... Not enough. Iago Aspas needs more statues. I mean, when, when, you know, thousands of years from now, when aliens come to study our civilization, they'll think he was a god. They'll be yeah. like, the way, that this, the way this man is spoken about in scriptures, even by opposition, mm-hmm. he's just a football genius. And there are, well, talking football geniuses in La Liga, we'll get to that one in the moment. We know what we're going to talk about. But Yay. Spanish football is so interesting because it's got these like icons who are so identified with a club. In a way, I know you've got, you've got like Southampton and Matt Letizia, but it feels like in Spain, there are so many more. And I just wonder, is it something about the kind of the regional diversity of Spain and the holiness of each region? I don't know, but it seems to produce these like icons. Does that make sense? Like yeah. you go down to like one place, you've got like that guy who's at that club, who's just astonishing, who identified, like I said, like, like Julian Guerrero, Athletic Bilbao, Athletic Bilbao, mm-hmm. like a guy like that back in the day. And Aspas now for Celta Vigo is the same thing. But yeah, let's go to the other genius, Santi Cathola at Villarreal. Wow. Okay, where do we start here? First, we'll get to that moment in a second. This, my guy is taking, I mean, you've seen this obviously for Arsenal for a long time, but I've seen it. Of course, you know, he's perfectly two-footed. My guy is creating outstanding goals, scored opportunities from set pieces with either foot. I mean, yeah. what a beast. A tiny beast. An absolute beast. And I mean, you want to talk about his, his moment for the Real's second goal. It was just beautiful. It was just beautiful. You think about the psychology. You've broken free of the last man and you're away. Yeah. And his first instinct is to side foot a volley perfectly for that strike. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when Romario moved back to Brazil to play for Vasco and was playing foot volley on the beaches. Yeah, it was beach football vibes. Like, beach football. This is the thing, like, to keep flight of the ball when it's coming over your shoulder that high from the keeper, to be aware of where Moreno is, and then to have the clearness of mind to just casually cushion a left foot volley. I mean, Moreno didn't have to break stride. I mean, to be fair, Moreno deserves a hell of a lot of credit as well because that was some finish. But just the whole goal was... It's got to be up there for goal of the season in La Liga. It's one of the best be. goals I've ever seen. Yeah, it's one of the best goals I've ever seen. It's literally... And the reason it's so amazing, because Sola is just outside the box and cushions this incredible... And he pops it up. It's like in yeah. volleyball and you pop it up for the smash. But he does yeah, it yeah, inside. Yeah. It's unreal. And it's funny because Moreno at that point, the, the pass is so good that Moreno could have just taken it down and gone. But I think he hits it early because he's a striker and it's a good instinct. But I also think part of him hit it early because he was hyped. You know, when you got like MCs in a group of rappers, right? You know, like you had like those MTV, like your MTV raps, and they're passing the mic around with their backpacks on. Yeah. And they're so hyped. And then like the MC is so hyped from the previous verses, he just jumps in on the mic with that extra energy. It was like Moreno just coming in, just going, I have to just crash this. I just have to like, you know, and it was a beautiful volley. The finish was amazing. But part of me was like, you're hitting that first time because the pass was so beautiful. Like mm. there's a part of you that thinks I have to do this justice. Yeah. It's, it was, and it's funny because I saw people howling. I didn't see the goal live and I saw people howling about it. And I saw Sid Lowe going wild, which is something because if Sid Lowe goes wild, I mean, he, that man has seen a lot of beauty. So if he's losing it, it must be something. And I went and I think I must've rewatched it five or six times. Just, just again and again, just that touch. It's Bergkamp, it's Ronaldinho. Like that's who, 
that's who Cthulhu is. He's Bergkamp, he's Ronaldinho. He's In terms of footballing fantasy, he is as magical as any player that's played football in the last 15 years. As as magical. Santi Gazzola should be in the dictionary under the definition of joy. Yeah, he should. He it should, should just say, like, under, under joy, it should just say Santi Gazzola. That's it. That's all it needs to say because he is one of the most joyful footballers I've ever seen. And beloved. And I, and I don't know anyone who doesn't like him. Imagine being a footballer in the 21st century, in the age of social media, and pretty much nobody disliking you. Beloved. Two quick tweets we had from people. One from Chris Shoot Worrell. Love for Santi and Villarreal. Imagine them sneaking a Champions League spot. So they're only three points behind Sevilla now and they could very realistically end up in the Champions League. Uh, this one from Liam, whose Twitter handle is Southend Santi. <laughs> Amazing. Santi Cazorla putting up unreal numbers in La Liga, age 35 and out of contract in the summer. Given Arsenal's current lack of technical quality, penetration and general ball retention in midfield, would re-signing him on a one-season contract make sense? I'm 100% in favour. He's kind of got that Pirlo edge to him where he could play for a little bit more, I think. I think he could do two more years. He could definitely do one. Maybe not starting and playing 90 minutes every single game, but I I would be 100% in favour of that as well. I mean, try dispossessing Cazorla. Oh, you just can't. Yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Maybe I'll repost my Cazorla to Dilla working on it video. Oh, you have to. You have to. That's amazing. At Ryan Hun on Twitter. I'll repost it later today. Do it, can't wait. We need to talk about Benzema's back heel because we've not even done it yet. We do, we do need to talk about it. I mean, I, I'm I'm actually, I'm not that hyped by it. It was a great goal. It was the decisive goal. Real beat Espanyol 1-0, which puts them, I think, two points clear of Barca. Crossfield pass, ball goes to Benzema out on the right flank and he executes a beautiful back heel across a six-yard box. Casemiro charges in and thrashes it into the corner and that's 1-0. Good night. It's a lovely goal. Lovely goal, lovely goal. But I see people, I saw people on the timeline saying that it was better than Guti's back heel um, to Benzema. Which one? Back in the day. Oh, oh well, that wasn't the best, that wasn't the best Guti back heel though. No, 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 no the, the Zidane one. Yep. The, 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 the Zidane one was when he drags it all the way from a different dimension. I love the goal. I think that it's one of those that I think aesthetically looks a lot better than it Oh, it looks a lot more impressive than it is to execute from a technical level. Now, now, that's not me downplaying it. That's just, these are professional footballers and the half volley back heel yeah. is really, really easy for them to do. I think the thing that it went through the legs, straight into Casemiro's path, Yeah, obviously it looked unbelievable. Aesthetically, a very, very beautiful goal. I thought Sandy's assist was better, um, in my opinion. I mean, I, mean, I, li- I liked both. Different assists for different reasons. I'm an ultra. I'm really hardcore about this. When I saw Santi Gazzola's assist, it made me leap out of my seat. I mean, Santi's from a, from a technical point of view is, I think, way more trickier for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think the Benzema one probably, when it plays out, looks aesthetically a little bit more pleasing. But they're both they're both great. I mean, Real won 1-0 against Espanyol and they're now two points clear at the top. That will probably be that, I imagine, now. I think we said that there were still eight games to go when, after Barca drew to Sevilla, right? Yeah. And that it was a little bit premature. I think those two drop points are big. They're really big for Barca. And I think that will probably do it. And this league will mean so much to Zidane. He said this before about how much the league means, because I think yeah. he's aware himself of, and he hasn't won the league for a while, for a few years. Only won it once, actually. So this for him is, is massive. We need to go to another break. Let's do it. 
All right, and we're back. Do you know what we're doing on Thursday? I've not even told you yet. Oh my God, what are we doing? We're doing our first What If episode since we joined The Ringer. Oh, wow. Okay. 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 So for those who aren't familiar with our What If episodes, they're basically exactly as they sound. Instead of asking questions, we ask people for their What Ifs. And then Moose and I pick a few and we go into these alternate footballing universes. Uh, we, we strayed once into territory that was, it was if, so if Poland beat Germany in 74, we got to the point where we started to stray into the territory of maybe the Soviet Union not falling when it did. <laughs> Political <laughs> conjecture. Yeah, I got, I got some very sarcastic emails from friends of mine about that. Uh, very sarcastic. So yeah. Basically, keep an eye out on the Stadio Twitter. Uh, it's just at Stadio on Twitter. We'll put a call out for those this week. Or if you have any in the meantime, feel free to just tweet this. And we'll be doing that on Thursday. More football, so much football. So the so the NWSL Challenge Cup started this weekend in Utah. Yeah. Two games, one on, uh, well, they were both on Saturday in the US. One was Sunday morning, our time. Uh, North Carolina Courage against Portland Thorns. Some game. Courage won 2-1. What did you think? I thought this was, considering the temperature, I mean, it was 11, I think 11 a.m. local time kickoff. Mm. I thought the pace of the game the fact that it increased as the game went on, I think, was super impressive. Yeah, absolutely. It was very impressive. Um, Lynn Williams was extremely dangerous throughout and ended up being the decisive player. I mean, <laughs> I have to say, I hadn't seen her play before. She's a gunner. Like, she's someone who is a, mm-hmm. a high-volume shooter and very much a... But her movement was extremely impressive and just generally the tempo of the game. I wonder if this was... Not to be your conspiracy theory hat on, but what a great fixture to start with. Like yeah. this was, this was a marquee. This was, I just wonder if the kind of tournament organizers were like, let's start off with a showpiece mm. um, fixture because it really lived up to the quality we would have expected prior to the game. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed by that. And your, your favorite Rose Lavelle and the other fixture was outstanding. Player of the too. Match. Yeah. Chicago Red Stars against Washington Spirit. She was superb and kind of ran everything. And one of those players who actually at certain times when she runs with the ball, I think she favours her left, but it's hard to tell because she's so comfortable. Mm. And what's interesting with her is there are some people who can pass the ball in a half stride. You know, there's some players when they're going to pass the ball, they slow down slightly and that's the tells. The defender basically sets themselves to wait for the release. She doesn't do that. She passes the ball like in stride and that's really unsettling as a technique. The move that broke for her goal was, I think, just Rose Lavelle in a nutshell. Won the ball, broke... And had that just the whole defence completely scampering. I actually tweeted, I just said, there aren't many things scarier than Roosevelt running at your defence. And we've said this all year. Well, we've said this for ages, but we've said this numerous times. <laughs> we compared it to like when Omar's coming in the wire. Yeah, 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 yeah. People just want to drop the stash and get out of there. Yeah. They don't want any, they don't want that trouble. And there was at one point where you saw, I think she got about 35 yards from goal. Six Chicago players all of a sudden decided to make a move towards her just at that moment. And there was this slight movement onto the left foot to play the through ball. There aren't many players that have that ability to create an extra angle in the split second. Right. Like that. And then she reacted quicker than any other Chicago defender to the ball for the rebound for the goal. Continued the run. Yeah. There's, it's interesting. Like that's a broken field. You can call that sort of broken field decision-making when everyone is scattering. Fella Kuti mm. say, everyone scatter, like, you know. Everything scatter. Everything scatter. And you're looking around and you're like, the decision-making, 
very yeah you're right very few players there are, there are a lot of players that can run at a defence and just wait for gaps to open that's like mm. a, well that's a generational talent to be able to do that and there are also players that can watch passes emerge there are very few that can do both she's just next level from a kind of vision and passing point of view and a playmaking point of view it there aren't many you know in, in terms of sorry to jump in but I'm just thinking because in, in the opposition you had Julie Ertz who an eight who can kind of is an architect of the play an architect more than someone who basically improvises you know not not that she can't do it but Rose Lavelle's ability to like improvise high complex patterns on the run whereas someone like Ertz who was again Ertz was very good actually she was very good the other day um obviously in the losing cause probably builds attacks in a more conventional way. So plays the lines very well, structures the attack, recycles the ball really, really well. And they're almost like sort of two different sides of the same coin. But I'm, yeah, I, this was the first time I'd seen a sort of a full, you know, the, the banquet of her skills, or the banquet of her mm. skill set. Because even, even in, even in the, sort of the national team, it was almost like, I mean, we saw sort of Lindsay Horan like out of the final for very good tactical reasons. Mm. Um, Jill Ellis, someone who very, has very specific roles for different people. Whereas it was like, she had the keys to the Porsche, didn't she, in this game? She yeah. already had the keys to the Porsche. I mean, they could have been out of sight, actually. Rose Lavelle had a one-on-one, but she probably should have scored. The angle was a bit narrow, though, for that one, wasn't it? Yeah, mm, uh, I think she could have done better on the finish, to be honest. But still, Washington Spirit ended up winning 2-1. And the next games are Tuesday, Houston Dash against Utah Royals, OL Reign against Sky Blue FC, Portland-Chicago on Wednesday. Tasty. Yeah. For those of you who want to watch it, it's on CBS in the States and in Canada, I believe, and on Twitch, free internationally, just on the NWSL Twitch page. So yeah, go and catch them. They're a bit, the, the second games of the day are a bit late for us Europeans. I have to watch them the next morning. It's like a 4.30 kickoff. But yeah, I'm into this like tournament vibe. It was a good move from the NWSL, I think. And obviously the first major league to return in, in the yeah. States. Let's move on to the FA Cup. The usual suspects are in the semi-finals, I suppose. But somewhat strangely, so Manchester United going through against Norwich 2-1. There is something so... There's something really weird about having the FA Cup behind closed doors because it really feels like a tournament where support is... You know, does that make sense? It's so important having support because support contributes to the upset. Like, with the FA Cup, there are those three variables. There's the Mm. home team, the away team, and the crowd. And not having the crowd there is so strange because you know what the crowd has done historically in the FA Cup, like Shrewsbury Liverpool, for example, good example. And Norwich United in previous years would be a fixture where you go there, it's hostile at Carry Road. And what's interesting with this game was United basically put in a load of reserves, not reserves, but like teams that, you know, non-starters, people that don't normally start, still won 2-1. And it, I sound really spoiled here because it is an FA Cup quarterfinal it felt flat. Like it mm. felt, it felt flat and it felt like you, it really made you, it really made, it reminded me that the Champions League is a priority for Manchester United. I mean, we had a couple of questions, one from Sean on Twitter, the champions don't care about the cup, but the champions didn't care about the cup. The semis consist of the next four juggernaut clubs and the lowest clubs in the country don't even get to enter the competition now. Is the FA Cup just running off the fumes of nostalgia? I personally think this is a little bit harsh because if you look at last year's semifinals, what they had, Brighton, Watford and Wolves all in there. Mm. Ultimately, it's a tournament. It's a cup tournament. So the big clubs will probably prevail depending on the realities of the rest of their season. I mean, Liverpool, they could, something had to give with Liverpool. 
I mean, the FA Cup is what it is. Sometimes it's really important for teams and sometimes it's not. I think when there's so much pressure for Champions League qualification or to avoid relegation or to go deep in Europe, I think I personally think that the magic of the cup thing isn't really relevant because each year it's super important to a certain amount of sides and sometimes it's not. You can't expect the FA Cup to be the priority or whatever for every single side every single season and I I actually think that's what makes it quite interesting now because some years it will be like a real priority for some teams and you'll see them really going for it and then some years you may mix it up I don't know yeah well I think the introduction of the the introduction of the extra champions league places was effectively the introduction of another trophy yeah and that became a parallel competition so it would be interesting to look at those Champions League places is kind of a knockout tournament of their own. That's kind of what they are, really, de yeah. facto. And the FA Cup has been interesting. It's been important for brilliant managers at new clubs to try and win that to help a club restore its sense of self. So Arsenal mm. had that. Mourinho had that same experience when he was at United. Like winning an FA Cup was, it was important to get something back up there. Like actually, Lou Van Hal was like that. Lou Van Hal yeah. won and then was sacked, but. Van Hall, it was really important. Well, he was already on his way, to be honest. But it was important for United to get back to Wembley and restore their sense of self. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the FA Cup being used as a kind of stepladder on an emotional journey towards the Champions League. I'm not sure if that's really right. But there is still a romance there. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to sound like an old man, again, wading a cloud. But what I loved about the FA Cup is the fact that it was just a great way to get into Europe for so many teams and that was the only way in for a lot of them I thought that was a really great a great move do you know what I think the FA Cup suffers from I actually think it suffers from too many people questioning the magic of it it's kind of like that thing where you know when someone asks you if you're okay and you're like <laughs> yeah I'm fine yeah I'm fine yeah. I'm totally fine and then they keep going yeah but are you sure you're okay yeah yeah are like, you sure you're okay and I'm like well I was I was totally fine and now you're kind of pissing me off so now I'm not okay and then it becomes <laughs> a whole thing whereas actually if people just let it happen, I don't know. I definitely think the FA Cup has suffered in terms of its standing. It absolutely has. But so much in football has changed. Yeah, true. True, true. It's not exclusive to the FA Cup. It's it's across the whole board. So let's just enjoy it. I mean, I was at the Arsenal-Hull FA Cup final when Arsenal broke their trophy drought. And it was one of the best days of my life. And I've seen a side win the league unbeaten as a football fan. So... It sounds like such a wishy-washy answer, but I think that we as fans want our teams to go in on everything and to win everything as much as possible. But we're not privy to the data, the load management, the kind of fitness of the players, all the nutrition, all the science, all all of that stuff. You know, if Klopp decides that, for example, he cannot play those players in an FA Cup game, I mean, they literally couldn't at one point because they were away. Yeah. then you got to trust them. And yeah, no, exactly. sometimes that's hard for us to f- to swallow because we're not programmed that way. We're no, programmed exactly. to just want to win everything. So maybe if Liverpool went in on the FA Cup, they might not have won the league. You never know. I mean, they no, probably would have. But, you yeah. know, they, won't, they, they may not have been able to say that they were Premier League champions, European champions and world champions within the same thing. So yeah. I'm going to flip it back onto you here because we've got a couple of questions about Manchester United. So oh, I'm going to flip them over to you. Uh, quick one. Ashley Carpenter, should United cash in on David De Gea, in my opinion, not being in the top 10 Premier League goalkeepers for two and a half years, at least six months before his disastrous World Cup 2018? If you'd said to me 
three years ago or four years ago, should we cash on to hey, I'd be like, what, what, what? Okay, for a load of money. If you told me I'd be here now, De Gea's decline, I think, has been baffling maybe even to him. I don't think he knows what's happened. Like some of the goals he's conceded, the one against Spurs, for example, against Bergwijn, just he must look back at that and be like, what's happened to me? And Mm. I mean, I would say, I mean, cash in, I mean, I would say no, because you wouldn't get a huge sum of money because the clubs that could afford to buy him for a large amount of money wouldn't pay that money and already have keepers of their own in place who they're happy with. Mm. So you'd kind of end up in the worst of all situations. It's better to have De Gea at a club where so much faith has been shown in him, challenged by a younger rival, just waiting like to emerge. It's better to have him in that state of kind of competitive tension than to sell him and replace him with someone who may not be as good immediately. I mean, if, if you sold De Gea, it wouldn't be to cash in. You'd sell him because he was way past his best which sounds wild and sacrilegious even saying that. I don't know what's gone on with him. I can't explain it. I don't think he can. But I would say if you sell him, don't sell him to cash in. Sell him because he's past his best. Just very, very, very quickly in the Premier League, Southampton beat Watford 3-1. Danny Ings is on for golden boot, man. Wow. Having a brilliant season. And Hasenhüttl, after a very, very tricky start to the season, basically keeping Southampton safe. They're up to 13th now and I think they'll be fine. He's so good. He's so good. It's going to take time at Southampton, but I think he's, you know, he's had a couple of years nearly. No, how long? 18 months he's been there. I could see Hasenhutl, given the tools, given the right recruitment to really push Southampton up towards challenging for top six. I could, I could genuinely see that because I think he's that good a coach um, and he's improved every side he's been at. And yeah, Danny Ings scoring goals. I reckon we get out of here. Yeah, we've done we've done everything, haven't we? We've gone around the house. I think so. We've probably we've probably missed some football, but there was so much football on. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at Stadio, Stadio Football on Instagram. Stadio.football is our own website or the ringer.com forward slash soccer. You got a piece going up this week? Yeah, I'm doing a piece about how football and basketball are coming close and close together because you have all the subs and the replacements. There he is. Haha. <laughs> the convergence, the convergence of sports. There may be pop culture references in there. We're going to be back on Thursday with a What If episode. Yeah. We're playing out today on Steve Hayat because we're nearly in July. We're going to play out on Dancing in July. Oh. Yeah. We hope everyone's staying safe and well. I know we say that every week, but we do mean it. And we'll be back on Thursday. Looking forward to it. See you then. Go and vote. <laughs>